morning. You may be seated. We are so glad that you're here this morning, especially if you're a guest here with us today. We want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning here at Westgate Memorial Baptist Church. And if you are a guest here with us today, I invite you to find a communication card there in the pew rack in front of you. And if you would fill that out for us during the service and drop it by our uh, connection desk out in the atrium. We would appreciate that. That would allow us to get to know you uh, better and to uh, thank you for being with us uh, this morning uh, for uh, worship. Uh, just a couple of, uh, of announcements. Um, if you want to slip out of church this morning, that would be good, but only do it if you're going to go back to the gym and give blood. Uh, the Life Blood Center is here with us uh, this morning, and so uh, Raymond won't mind if you slip out and uh, go back there and donate blood uh, this morning. And then also, don't forget this evening at 5 o'clock, we'll be back here in the sanctuary uh, for the presentation of our 2023 uh, budget. And uh, we'll, uh, don't worry, uh, we'll have you home in time for uh, Game 7. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. There is no Game 7. The Astros probably cost the networks more money this season than any other season before, but uh, go Strohs. And so, no reason not to be here 5 o'clock tonight uh, in the sanctuary for the presentation of our 2023 uh, budget. If you would, stand for me as we read God's Word uh, this morning. And our scripture reading this morning comes out of Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Father, thank you so much that your mercies are made new every morning. Your grace and your love and your mercy that you pour out upon us daily, we are so grateful for. And Father, as we gather together this morning as the body of Christ to worship and to praise your holy name, May our worship be acceptable unto you. May it be a sweet sound in your ears. And Father, what may, whatever may be crowding in on our lives this morning, Father, I ask that you, would, that you would push those things aside and that our focus would be fully and wholly upon you. Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to come into your presence and now as we do enter into your presence father may you be lifted on high may you be exalted and may you be praised in your name we pray amen
Dear God, you've never failed me yet. You love me so much, Lord. And the blessings you give us, um, the strength you give us, the joy you give us may not always be happiness, right? That's based on feelings, but we can have joy in you, uh, enjoying um, just your word, Lord. Uh, just be with Pastor Raymond as he brings the message, God, and uh, may your presence be felt in this place. Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Maybe see Can you guys read? There we go. Well, some of you can't. I understand that. Hopefully your parents can read, right? I'm glad you guys are coming down here to spend some time with me because we're going to talk about an important Bible verse. All the Bible verses are important, aren't they? Right? I hope you guys are reading the Bible on a regular basis, reading that with your mom and dad. We're going to talk about sinning today. Have any of you ever sinned? Yes. Well, that's a good start. We understand that we're all sinners. The Bible tells us that, right? How do you sin? You disobey God, okay? Okay. Okay. So we sin by doing something, right? Doing something we're not supposed to? Is there another kind of sin? Nope. Well, I'm going to give you some two words that are really kind of hard to remember, but you know, you're so smart, I believe you'll remember these, okay? The first one is called the sin of commission. That, one's, that, means, that, that means you do something. What now? Commission, yeah, the sin of commission. It's when you do something, you commit something, okay? But you know there's another sin. Are you ready for this? It's called the sin of omission. Can you say those two words with me? Commission and omission, okay? Omission means when we sin by not doing something. All right. Now let's say you go in your room and you make a really big mess and your mom said, don't make a mess. That would be the sin of commission because you did something you weren't supposed to do but what if your mom or dad said I want you to go clean your room and you didn't do it what is that called that's the sin of omission, omission because you didn't do what you're supposed to do and that's why it's so important for us to remember these things because sometimes we think all I have to do is not do wrong things but God wants us to do good things as well. And when we don't do what he's asked us to do, that's also sin. So one more time, the sin of and, and what does that mean? Okay, good. You, I think you guys got it. And would you do me a favor? Quiz your parents on it when you get home, okay? Ask them if they know the difference between the sin of commission and the sin of omission. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you that your word speaks to us in such relevant ways. And for us to be reminded that sometimes we think we're okay if we um, just stay away from the things we're not supposed to do. But sometimes we don't do what we're supposed to do. And you call that sin as well. And uh, we want to stay as far away from sin as we can, and we know the best place to do that, and the best way to do that is to stay really close to you. So help us all to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. All right, thank you all so much for coming down. You remember your homework. Quiz your parents to see if they know the difference between the sin of... Omission and COVID. Very good. You going to be okay? Okay. Do you want to talk today? You don't want to speak? Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. If you're going to make me. Well, on a heavier note, uh, just a little bit before Sunday school started, one of our church members from a long time, uh, Martha Allred, stepped into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we want to be praying for Rudy and their family, for Cheryl and Steve as a part of our church membership. Uh, this has been a long journey for them, and uh, we just want to continue to pray for them. So let's pray together. God, we know that within our church family, there is uh, continual pain. It never leaves us. And sometimes uh, when our life is going well, we forget that. Help us to be mindful of the many needs that surround us and to be uh, available, sensitive, and ready to meet those needs wherever we can. Our hearts are heavy for Rudy today as we just recognize that this is the first day of 70 years of not having his wife. Think of Steve and Cheryl and the loss of their mom. We pray for all of their family. And God, we celebrate that we have the hope of Jesus Christ to know that Martha is now more alive than she has ever been. And she is in your presence, experiencing perfection in every way. And we are thankful for that, and may that fuel uh, comfort and hope to Rudy and the family together. And God, as we consider your word today, might you allow it to speak deeply into our lives. And Lord, might you allow us to allow your word to speak deeply into our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue our series, The Fam Family Resemblance, and today we'll be talking about the toxic silver idol. Turn with me to James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, I always want to encourage you to bring your Bible so you can follow along. Uh, but if you don't have your Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 1884, James chapter 11, uh, chapter 4. There's no 11 chapters in James. James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. We're going to be talking about the toxic silver idol. Beginning in verse 11 of James chapter 4, the half-brother of Jesus says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, and make a profit. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, from them, for them, it is sin. Trademarks of the toxic silver idol. When you think about that, you look at the passage of Scripture and you say, I don't think I saw the word idol in there one time. What is the toxic silver idol? Let's look and see if we have a slide to help us better understand that. 
Anybody recognize what that is? It's a mirror. Good. The toxic silver idol of our lives is a mirror. It's when we look into the mirror and we idolize ourself above other people and above God. One of the most familiar statements ever recorded about a mirror was, magic mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all? The evil queen in Snow White. Mirror, mirror, as we oftentimes say, but it's actually magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? As we think about our own life, thinking about us being number one in position was the very first temptation that came to mankind. To be like God is what Satan promised, and it remains at the very top of the list of temptations all throughout human history. In fact, this week I received Time Magazine's uh, unique cover. Some of you are subscribers to Time, and you'll notice on the front it says, The Planet We Made. Now, it's a very innovative cover because it has you stare at the cover for about 10 to 15 seconds, and then you open it up, and you will see a circle of a green earth on the inside. Very innovative, very creative, uh, but I was just dumbstruck by the planet we made. And I wonder how oftentimes we feel as if we are the ones in charge, the idol of self. Today's Bible reading is found in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 16. It says, hearts that have been devoted to idols, that's what destroyed the people of God. So this morning, we're going to be looking at two trademarks of the toxic silver idol, and we're going to be looking at how we can detox from the toxic silver idol. Trademarks of the toxic silver idol, an arrogant tongue. James chapter 4, 11 and 12. Look back at those verses again with me. Do not speak evil against one another. That is to speak against someone. It is to tear them down, speaking with the purpose of knocking them down to some degree of, 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 of the, uh, through your uh, communication. It's either talking behind their back or talking to them face to face. And what is the purpose of all that? When we talk about somebody in a negative way, we are seeking to complain about a situation, maybe a, a situation that we don't really want to address, so we complain about it rather than truly address it. Or it could be that we are wanting to put someone in their place. We feel like they're, that they deserve what we're about to say to them. Or it could be that we're saying something negative about someone else to elevate Ourself. Do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks against a brother judges his brother. He speaks evil against the law and he judges the law itself. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's only one judge and lawgiver, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Sometimes when we speak ill of other people, we feel justified in saying it or saying it back. We feel like they have done something that is deserving of us saying something, or they have done something to us, and we feel like we're deserving in saying it back. Maybe they've said something negatively to us. What James wants us to be reminded of is what Jesus said many times is, our words are the fruit of our heart. Our words reflect what is inside our heart. And we are called 
to speak words of affirmation and not words that destroy. Now, again, this is oftentimes taken out of context with the idea that we should never be discerning. The word judge means discerning, but we should never be discerning of sin in other people's life, life of our church, in culture. And we should never address that. We should just keep quiet. No, these are words that mean to simply tear down. The only purpose of speaking is to tear down. And obviously, James is addressing a problem in a church. There's always been problems in churches of people speaking ill of others. And James says, when you do that, you are casting a verdict of judgment on someone else. We all like going to the courtroom and knowing, well, we don't like going to the courtroom, We like knowing that if we were called to the courtroom, there would be a jury of our peers. But that doesn't just exist in the courtroom. It happens outside of the courtroom all the time in which we experience a jury of peers judging us, pronouncing verdicts on our lives. And when we do that, we are basically saying we are above the law, yes, above Scripture, but also above God is what James says. There's only one who is able to judge our lives accurately. When we speak ill of someone, we are making a judgment that is not truly accurate. So we need to be very careful and recognize that when we do this, we are putting ourselves above even God himself. We are making ourselves the toxic silver idol. Mark Dever has wisely said, our speech is not primarily for expressing ourselves, which we feel it is, right? Our speech is not primarily for expressing ourselves. It is for expressing God's character. That's what James is reminding us of. Be very careful, because our words are supposed to express the very character of God who resides within us. Trademarks of the toxic silver idol could be a very caustic tongue or an inaccurate watch. Look at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Come now, you who say tomorrow or today we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, as you think back on this passage of Scripture, James was writing to people that, remember again, they had probably been a part of the Pentecost experience. They had been very close to seeing a powerful miracle and expression of God in the early church. And it could be that they had been drifting away, and now that they had moved off and they were in a different part of uh, the area, that they started getting more engrossed in economic exchange. Business people. He's not saying there's anything wrong with profit. We should all strive to be as profitable as possible in our work. But he's saying to assume that we can predict what's going to happen in the future. To have an inaccurate watch. It's possible today for you to have an inaccurate watch as we have moved off of daylight saving time. But, just as the clock up here tells me it's after 12 o'clock, which I know you wish that I would abide by, But we could have an accessory that is not telling us the truth about time. I continue to be baffled, and you've heard me talk about this before, but I grew up wearing a watch, and then we came to the advent of the cell phones, and people of younger generations abandoned watches, and now they've embraced them again. Watches seem to be the big rage. 
And I've shared this story with you before, but it bears repeating here because it's one of the most comical experiences about this in my lifetime. I was doing a funeral here, and with funerals, you're kind of on a time frame. There's a time that you start. And we're in the back, trying to figure out what time it is, and one of the young funeral directors had a new Apple Watch, and he pulled it out, and he looked at it, and he told me how, much, how many minutes we had left, and he said, this is so cool. I don't have to pull out my phone anymore. I can just lift up my wrist and see what time it is. And I thought, we've done that for a long, long time. <laughs> it's possible for us to have an inaccurate understanding of time. In Psalm 90, verse 12, it was Moses who said, teach us to number our days aright that we can gain wisdom so that we can live as we need to. And James is saying, you act as if you're going to go to this other city for a year or so, and that you're going to turn a profit, <laughs> two big assumptions, that you're going to be there for a year, and you're going to make a profit. And he says, who in the world do you think you are? You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. None of us do, right? We have no comprehension of what tomorrow will be. We, we have an idea of what we hope for, but we can't know exactly what's going to happen. But we live as if we always know. We live as if it's always going to be this way. I remember years ago, famous golf player Paul Asinger was talking about a man flying on an airplane who flew so much that he would try to get his seat all positioned like he was going to be there forever. And he said, it's like a picture of life. How many people fly through life as if they're always going to be there? Whenever you're on an airplane, there is a very important lesson to be learned. Someone sat in that seat before you did, and believe me, I've flown a lot lately, and the planes are full. Someone sat in that seat before you, and someone will sit in that seat after you, and that's a picture of life. We come and we go. That's why he said we're a mist. We know what a mist is. We know what fog is. We know what smoke is. This word could be translated for any of those in which you just see it, it dissipating into the air. It's also a picture of clouds, and when you look out in the sky and you see clouds, and then, then they just dissipate. They're gone. He says that's the way our life is. Henry Kissinger. I had to look this up because I didn't even realize he was still alive. Henry Kissinger, anybody remember him? He's 99 years of age. And he said years ago, what has most surprised me about life is how quickly it passes. That's what James is saying. Recognize you are not in as much control as you believe. I love the life insurance salesman's approach in which he uh, was trying to sell a policy of life insurance to a friend. My friend was a little bit hesitant. Wasn't sure he wanted to make the purchase. So he said, I tell you what, you take this policy home tonight and if you wake up, you call me. Well, he got the sale. Well, we don't know if we're going to wake up tomorrow. And the transient nature of life. Think for just a moment. I know that people tracking down their, their family tree is a, is, a, is a really big thing these days. And I want you to think for just a moment. How many of you right now can name your great-great-grandparents? You can name your great-great-grandparents. I see a couple of hands go up. Most of us cannot. 
We're just four generations removed, but we can't name our great-great-grandparents. And the thing is, four generations from now, they won't be able to name us either. That's what James is saying. Your life passes quickly. And so don't live it arrogantly as if you are going to go and do whatever you please. So if self is on the throne, we will have a tendency to believe that we are above God and we will speak negatively about other people, not seeing the blind spots in our own lives. We'll also operate with an inaccurate watch, believing that we have all the time in the world to live as we are without making any changes. So the question might be, how do we detox from the toxic silver idol? First of all is to adjust your focus is what James tells us in verses 15 and 16. Instead, in contrast to saying, I'm going to go to this particular city and I'm going to make this kind of profit, he says, instead of thinking like that, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. This is it's e- evil for us to believe that we will do whatever we want with no thought about God. What James is saying is don't calculate without God in the equation. Did James have experience with that? Yeah, ironically, today's Bible reading is John chapter 7, verse 5, and it says that his brothers didn't believe. James spent a significant portion of his life calculating without God. And so he recognizes the important for us to calculate everything with God in the equation, if the Lord wills. Some have said that we oftentimes, as Christians, this is not for those outside of the church, but we as Christians live as practical atheists. Living as if God doesn't exist in all the daily decisions that we make of all the things that we decide to do. And if we're not looking intently into God, we could be off. And we say to ourselves, well, I don't feel like I'm that far off. That's good. But the danger is there. Is it just to be a little off over time will lead you to be way off. If you're just, we're we're getting all dialed up to go back to the moon, right? All of this innovation is going to take us back to the moon. If you were to go to the moon, being one degree off, and we would say in our lives, being one degree off is not that significant. If you go to the moon being one degree off, you will miss the moon by over 4,100 miles. You won't even come close. And if you were one degree going to the very nearest star in our solar system, you would be 441 billion miles off. So to be just a little off over time puts us in a very precarious situation. So might we ask the question, do I ask God to bless my life or do I ask God for guidance in my life? Just think about that for a moment. 
Many times we are on a path and we say, God, would you bless me on this path, rather than saying, God, which path do you want me to take? I think this Tuesday is a, a classic example of this. We're voting on election day. I hope most of you have already voted. It's so much easier to do it earlier. But as Christians, we should be salt and light contributing to the outcomes of these elections. Amen? That's not a big political statement. That's not trying to be uh, moving in the direction of politics is most important. But we should be engaged. But listen to this. Let God guide your politics rather than politics guiding your view of God. If we're not careful, and you see it all the times in America, is that politics are less driven by God and God is driven more by politics. Our view of God is painted by our politics rather than the opposite. And if we're going to let God guide our politics, then we must be immersed in the Bible, which is literally God's Word, as He speaks into our lives. We are not in as much control as we would think. On June 11, 2001, Timothy McVeigh the bomber in the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995 was executed. 33-year-old McVeigh declined to give a final statement, but instead he handed a printed copy of a poem to the media witnesses. After he was pronounced dead, one of the reporters read the poem Invictus. It was written in 1875 by William Henley. He was a playwright, a critic, and a journalist who suffered from very severe tuberculosis during his youth. Invictus literally means invincible in Latin. And the poem was autobiographical. It talked about the adversity that he faced as a, as, a, as a youth that forced the amputation of one foot and a two-year hospitalization to save the other foot. McVeigh adapted that poem to his own choosing, to his own situation as a defiant, unrepentant killer of 168 people. Listen to the poem. Out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. The menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Timothy McVeigh didn't sound like he was so much of the captain of the soul as he laid in that execution chamber. And he had previously written about life after death by saying that I will improvise, adapt, and overcome. And if I'm going to hell, I'm going to have a lot of company. You see, friends, James is speaking to that very kind of heart that looks into the toxic silver idol and believes that we are the masters of our soul. The Puritans had a very different view of this. Deo valente. It's the word that James uses here. God willing if the Lord wills, that everything that we do, not just as a cliche, but we start our day and we move through our day saying, God, if you are willing, then I will move in this direction. It doesn't mean that, that we 
move into the robotic stage in which we're just waiting for God to make every move in our lives. But everything we view is that God is in charge. Deo valente, God willing. So if we want to detox from this idolatry of self, which we may struggle to see as believing it really is there, but when we look in the silver of our mirror, we'll be reminded of who matters most in our life. We must, first of all, adjust our focus off of self and onto God and to repent. Look at verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And what kind of sin is that called, kids? I know, you're already asleep. The sin of omission. Yeah, I remember you're going to quiz your parents on that when you get home. The sin of omission. James repeatedly gives us the invitation to repent. When you think about the sin of omission, one little kid explained it this way, it's the sins that we want to do but haven't gotten around to it yet. (laughs) Well, I hope we don't get around to those sins. But I do hope we get around to what God desires, and that's what James is saying. Whoever knows the right thing to do doesn't do it. That's sin. If you know what God desires, if you know what God wills and you don't do it, that's sin. See, we're not only wrong, but we fail to do good. So we need to be very guarded on that. And who needs to repent when we say this element of repentance, of turning, of changing? Who's that for? Well, it's for them, right? But a true mirror helps us to see who really does need to repent. That's us. We all have something that we need to repent of. And I, and I think that a, a great help to that is reading Daniel chapter 9. In, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is pleading out for his, the land in which he lives, for his people. And you will notice in his prayer that he says, we have sinned. Do you, do you read anything in the book of Daniel that indicates that Daniel is sinning? Yet as he prays and intercedes for others, he says, Lord, we have sinned, and you see our unfaithfulness. Repentance is when we include ourselves in the process. The sin of omission, to repent and turn from that. You know, following up on that story about Timothy McVeigh, on May 27th of 1998, an extension to the story, Michael Fortier was sentenced to 12 years in prison for his role in the Oklahoma City bombing but he didn't actively do anything. He was a key witness that helped convict Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. He knew about the extensive plans of his two former army buddies, but he failed to warn the authorities. So in a courtroom on that day, adjacent to the former Alfred Murrah Federal Building, where it once stood, he begged for the forgiveness of those who had lost loved ones. 168 lives lost, 19 of those children, 500 others injured. Upon reflection, he said, I thought that his plan would never bear fruit. I was terribly wrong. I sometimes daydream that I told the police and I become a hero. But in reality, I'm not. He knew the right thing to do, but he didn't do it. Again, as we go through the book of Ezekiel, we're reminded that God has called us to share the gospel, the good news with other people. And if we don't, 
we will be held accountable. It's that important for us. So don't look into the toxic silver idol, but look into the very face of God who loves you and has created you to have a relationship with him. Because of our sinfulness, we do need to repent. We do need to turn away from our sin and turn to God because Jesus Christ can make us right with God. Through repentance and asking Christ to save us from our sins, we can know eternal and abundant life. If you've never experienced that, I'm going to invite you to join me in a prayer in just a moment. And those of us who are already believers in Christ, okay, maybe you didn't like the sermon. Toxic silver idol, don't really get it. But did God speak to you and say there's something that needs to change? Is there some level of repentance that needs to take place? Is there a focus that needs to be adjusted? Let's yield ourselves completely over to him as we pray. God, we thank you that your word does indeed speak into our lives. We're reminded of these truths that we have seen from the book of James. To know how easy it is for us to try to crawl up on the throne of life and try to subvert you from the role that is always, that always will be yours. Lord, help us to surrender our lives to you in complete lordship of all that we are and all that we have. For those friends listening now in this room or online that have never given their life to Christ, never invited you to be their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would voice a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, how we pray that each of us would live out that fully surrendered life to you, that we would recognize that what we say is truly the fruit of our heart, and maybe some of the things that we've been saying about others is something that needs to change. Maybe we've had that perspective that that we are the masters of our soul and believe that we can go and do anything that we want. But our prayer today is that you would help us to live with that simple concept, God willing, that everything that we do would be filtered through the the grid of seeking your guidance and then later inviting your blessing. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior just a moment ago, or maybe in recent days, recent weeks, and you're ready to cross the line and take the next step of being baptized as a demonstration of your faith, I'd invite you to make your way over to the cross or to back one of the aisles here where we'll have our deacons, the triads for this month, be standing. And deacons, if you would go ahead and stand back there so people know that you're there and they'll know who you are uh, so that they can go back there and pray with you. Maybe you've decided you want to become a member of this church. We would love to have you. You can just go back to one of these uh, couples standing back there in the back aisle over the cross where I'm standing and say, I want to be a member of this church. And we'll begin the process of doing that. Maybe God is just calling you to repent. Maybe kneel where you are. Maybe just voice a prayer asking God to take full control of your life. So however God is leading you, let's stand together as we worship and let's pray to him.
y'all are dismissed. And we have children's choir. Children's choir in here. In here, the sanctuary.